hello everybody. Welcome to our like our last podcast of the, the year <laughs> of the year. Um, we are two social workers. We're not drinking. Well, I'm drinking. We're not drinking today. lately. <laughs> Maybe in the new year. I mean, we're trying to start the new year off good. This is what I'm drinking. Yeah, but I'm yeah, I'm trying to in 2019. I guess clean cleanse. Yes. <laughs> Isn't it weird that two decades have passed? You know, I had going into the twenties. It's very scary. It's very scary. I'm excited. So it's like, are we gonna, are we gonna, gonna die? die? <laughs> I think we are. It's pretty. It's pretty. Damn. I don't want to think about that. Well, I mean, we're always. There's always a possibility you're gonna die, right? Is it the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties? I don't. No, nah, it's not gonna be this. Can you imagine you live to like the eighties. Imagine another eighty. Twenty eighty. No. Yeah, twenty eighty. How old will we be? Like 80 years old. Oh Can I imagine another 80s? I just. Do you mean like an 80s era? Yeah. Because like, I feel like that's coming back though. You yeah, don't see. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Like, we're all recycling like the past. Yeah. But I feel like growing up or like in my mind, like the 60s, 70s, 80s, 50s, like 40s are so like. Long ago. Monumental that I can't even imagine like another 80s. I don't that's know. True. Does that make sense? Like, when I think of the 80s, Kinda. I think of like shoulder pads and. <laughs> Lock of seagulls, big hair. Like, what's it going to be like in the 2080s? I don't know. It's just weird saying. It is, yeah. I think about, like, when you watch old movies and they're like, oh, futuristic, like, 2000s. (laughs) And it's like, bitch, we're now in 2020. Yeah. Or if you've ever seen, I don't know if you watch Disney Channel like that, but that movie Smart House. Yeah, Smart House. I think about that now and I'm like, look at these refrigerators and different things that damn tesla look at that remember people used to be scared of electronic remember like um mm-hmm. i am robot everyone used to be scared and now it's like it we didn't even think about it, it doesn't scare me that like old technology will like or oh, a robot will like take over or something it scares me that we have become so dependent on these things that? Are, are we really that dependent i mean i feel like besides like Google Maps. That's like like GPS. Hell yeah. Yeah, with GPS, that would be lost. But like, other than that, it's like, what else do you need a phone for? I feel like when people can't spell words, (laughs) no, we survive. I can't spell. I'm gonna lay down. Spell check. It's like, let me research this. Or like libraries and encyclopedias. I remember in like elementary, middle school, like, oh, go to the library, look at the encyclopedia. Now it's like, no, just go on the computer. The databases are there. I only read off a Kindle now. So I can't read. No, I love working. (laughs) There's something... I don't know if I want to say nostalgic. There's something about holding a real book, but I have Mm. books everywhere in my house. You ever tried a Kindle? Yeah. I have... I don't know if you ever remember when Barnes & Noble first came out with the Nook. The Nook, yeah. I have one, but I don't even use it. I Um, love my Kindle because I don't have to like... Hold it open. I can just look at it. I don't know. I There's do agree that the smell of books yeah. are nice, but it's so small. Let me see. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't found the plug like, for the nook. How many books do you have on here? Um, I have like ten. Okay, I haven't been a good reader. I read a lot though. That's I haven't, my I haven't been reading that much, and um, I had a Kindle before that had more, but then it broke, and so this is like a mm. newer one. I got this like before I started grad school, and then I'd like barely touched it, but now I'm trying to read stuff. That's why I wrote Maybe it. I should invest in that because I have books in my room, in the living room, in the garage, mm-hmm. and in my trunk of my car. So I, I like 
when I do get a home or wherever my next transition will be, like I'm gonna have my dad build like a few bookshelves and like put it on display. Yeah. But um That's what I love. I love reading technology. Mm -hmm. Like you don't need the space. Like it just frees up a lot of space. Yeah. Because I don't want to lug around books. It's true. You know. I may donate some of them. Well, the ones that I don't read anymore. But Yeah, keep like a handful of books, but those are like books that are like from my childhood. Yeah. Like like loved. Yeah, yeah. Oh, technology is. I'm not scared though. I don't know. I used to think you're. I was trying to tell my boyfriend this. Like you ever hear people say, like, "Oh, I was born in the wrong era, the wrong decade." Someone had a shirt on, um, yeah. like that. Yes, and I used to. Like, think I was that. born in the wrong generation. Yeah. I'm like, I think I was too. No, I used to think that, and I'm like, damn, I wish I was in like in the '60s and like could be part of that. I don't culture. know about the '60s. Okay, not for Hell you. Hell no, it was like <laughs> civil rights. Like, I'm not no. going back. Mm-mm. I but think probably the '80s for me, like 80s? early '80s, because yeah. I was born in 1990. So I think early '80s, yeah. Yeah, but then I was thinking, like, what if I would have been older? What the hell? Yeah, you would have been older. Our time no. was like our time is like now. What if our time is like the '20s or the '50s? That's so I weird guess. to say. I don't know. You mean like our time is now? Like our time is now to shine? Yeah. Like this is our time to like shine and really like show like. I think that's true. I was watching. Show yourselves. Yeah. I was watching that show. Have you ever watched Undercover Boss? Yeah. I, I watched that and the, a lady was on there and she was saying how like she went to school to become a lawyer and she did all these different jobs and she was on a job and she was like she was making such good money and she but she just wasn't happy and she said she knew that on that job, she wasn't doing what she was destined to do. Right. Like, I guess she wasn't shining in her own words. And yeah. I thought about that when you just said that. I feel like you know. Like, when you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. Something just doesn't feel right. I just, I love my job now, but I feel like coming from where I came from, now I know better. And now I see that I can do this for, like, maybe a year or two, but then it cannot go any any further time. than that yeah like i want to do something else things are getting old no well it's like we do such repetitive things yeah. and i just feel like i don't know we do a lot of repetitive things and i feel like maybe i'm not doing as much social work things see, I'm, I'm happy for you because i feel like when i met you there's a lot of like shoulda coulda woulda if only yeah if only and i feel like because you had that strength and took that step to get it took out of a the long job. time though it took oh a my time, god you still, you still it, did it. it took so long you still my did god. it and then now you're in this job and you're like wait a minute like bitch i'm ready to get out of here this too. is not it either <laughs> i'm not saying it's you not know? it or um, not it right i'm now. gonna stay within the network that i'm in because they yeah. have awesome benefits but i see that there's room to grow within the system that i'm in and i know that i can go in another hospital or clinic or wherever and do more like mental behavioral health like actual well I'm actually using like what I learned in school like I feel like I'm like at the end of this I'm going to be like an honorary nurse or something I feel like you you're evolving more in this like short period of time than you did you think so well then again you did you did evolve a lot from like your current your past job yeah like working your way up um I don't know but sometimes I feel like it's more I guess it's more in depth um yeah you're honing your skills I guess, yeah. You ever see like The Office? I never finished it, but there was the show. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know Pam. Yeah, she wanted to go to art school or something. Um, I don't know. I I never finished a show, so like if you're a big Office fan, I'm sorry, but like she, I remember shows or what's that one movie? I think it's called. 
don't know, but there's always people in shows who are like, oh, like I'm gonna leave this place and oh, like go yeah. to a different job, and but they never forever. To they do never it. do it, right? But I'm like, I'm thinking like, what if they put all this time and effort into like this one job, and that's not even the job that they exactly. need to be in, but exactly. because they're putting it on a pedestal and idolizing it, like putting so much pressure on it that they don't, they will never know that that job is just like a middle point for them. Or that was just a stepping stone for what they really needed to do. The funny thing you is, know? I used to say that a lot to people at the old job. Like when they would say, oh, you know, what are your ultimate plans? And I'm like, you know, when I was in school, I would say like, oh, you know, this is just a stepping stone. I, I can remember myself always telling that to people. Like this is always just a stepping stone. And it's, it's funny. It was, it was a stepping stone for me to get, I knew that I was going to do something else yeah. and I would always say, maybe that's why I would always say that, like, this is just a stepping stone for me to just go somewhere else. And it did happen. Um, it took a, oh my God, it took a very long time. Yeah, I, I feel like I was very, very comfortable there. Very, I don't know. I mean, I think too, it's also like about a balance, right? You obviously don't want to like quit every job that you work at. No, you know? <laughs> I'm not going to go job hopping. Yeah. No, no, no. And no. I think, I think a lot of like millennials, I guess, are having like two job or like a side job. Yeah. So they can pay their um, bills, have something stable, and yeah. then try something out that they they don't know if it's really gonna work, but they're gonna do it on nights and weekends. Mm-hmm. Kind of like with this podcast is like we're it's just true. gonna try it, and if mm-hmm. something comes of it, then and that's great. But have, if not, we have backups, and I think that's a smart way to. A lot of people have like multiple streams of income as well. Like I hear people like, oh, well, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. That's what I'm trying to be about. So, yes. Because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, one job ain't cutting it nowadays. <laughs> What's that quote about living paycheck to paycheck? Like, that's like. We didn't, we, did, we weren't born to live paycheck to we're paycheck. We were not born to live paycheck to paycheck, but it's also a drug. That first hit. Oh, once you get it, you want to yeah, keep getting it, or you want to keep it, getting more. And then you get comfortable. With mm-hmm. it. Documentary. What becomes so financially secure that you forget its payday? I I knew someone like that. <laughs> That probably only happened to me once, please. I knew someone no, like ma'am. that. He was the CEO of a company he used to work for, and he, like, did we get paid today? Oh, whatever. Well, we would get hand, we would get paper checks, and like he hadn't come to the office for like months, and then I was like, oh, you have all these paychecks here. He's like, oh, I forgot about those, and just like grabbed them. Oh, really? Yeah, that's nice. And I was just thinking, like, huh, I guess he didn't really need it. He didn't really need it. Damn. It's an afterthought. Long Maybe I'll it. Paycheck. No. I think it's that one guy who's always on YouTube, like telling people what to do. Oh, you're talking you about talking Gary? About? I think his name is like Gary or something. Yeah, I think I follow him on um Instagram. Let me see. Gary something. He's very, very good motivational yeah, speaker to he's me. He's like it's like a drug once you get that person. Mm-hmm. Gary V. This guy. Investor. He's good to listen to. Take fucking celery. Sorry. Is that cinnamon? Nobody wants to put in the fucking work. 
True. I just want to know, like, what the next step would be to grow my business. No. Well, <laughs> like, I don't it's know, either word of mouth from the people you've got. Right. If you've got money, you run ads on Instagram, and you know, it's it's really yeah. simple. Like all my model, really I know it's on the two months. He's not lying, but I just feel you have to be on top of that. Built, how my whole career was built. So I, who the fuck am I to judge you? <laughs> So you mentioned, you know, you don't have time for Netflix, you don't have time for this other stuff, but how do you balance the time but, to but figure out? But I have time for the Jets. He's manic. For seven hours. <laughs> you know I'm, I'm sorry. I think it's about balance. He kind of goes off yeah. with a little I think it's tyrants. about <laughs> No, you don't want mania, you don't oh want... Gosh. I'm sorry, I'm putting my feet up here. No, 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 um, just I know with him, he always talks about, like, you can't have time to just be sitting around and doing nothing. I like, agree. oh, if you're on your phone, like, you know how some people are addicted to being on their phones? I mean, about and you can just be on your phone for like two or three hours just yeah. on Instagram. He's like, do that, but use that time wisely. Like, educate yourself on things, or I don't know. I mean, yes and no. It shouldn't be don't all do, work. Yeah, don't do it all week. But sometimes you just need some mindlessness scrolling just to get your mind up. If you're doing it, at dinner or in, like yeah. at, on your lunch break, yeah, yeah, don't do that probably. Yeah. But if it's like a Sunday afternoon and you don't, you're not doing anything. I, I think yeah, I agree with that. Because sometimes, sometimes I'm just on there looking at like shoes and clothes. Yeah, so you like, know, I'm not hurting anybody. Yeah. Um, like your your brain does need a time like this to shut the hell yeah, off. Yeah, to shut off, but without being asleep. Like yeah. Like the only time you relax shouldn't be when you go to sleep. You know. That's oh, that was a cat. That's your foot. Um. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why I read sometimes, because when I read, um, everything I read, even if it's something like a short story, I play everything out in my head as if it's a movie that's playing. And it kind of gives me like a moment to like just see like another world and not really think about like what's going on in reality. Yeah. Have you read any good books lately? I've been reading a series by this lady named Ashley Antoinette. Um, It starts off from a book that she... um, Oh, God, what's the title? It's called A Moth to a Flame. A Moth to a Flame goes into a series called Ethic, which is six books. And she she wrote each book basically within 12 months, which is insane to me. And then she just came out with like a Christmas edition for the family. And then she's coming out with a spinoff called Butterfly. So I already had that on pre-order for Amazon. (laughs) What is um, A Moth to a Flame about? It's about a girl growing up in Flint, Michigan. Um, It's kind of like an urban tale, but it's like she dates like this really bad guy and ends up in like an abusive relationship. Then she gets saved by another guy. Then they grow up, they get married, they go through different things. And it's kind of about facing your demons and like really facing your past and living in that and just kind of healing from all of that Mm -hmm. instead of just kind of like locking all those skeletons up in the closet, which most of the time we do. Um, But yeah. So what is is Moth to a Flames like? What does that mean for the book? It's, That's an interesting title. It's kind of a metaphor. Um, the girl, oh my God. I guess the girl was the moth, but then the guy that she was with in the abusive relationship Ooh. was the flame. So it was That's like, you know that moth to a flame? Yeah. That's That was the metaphor of the book. That's what it meant. Because it's yeah. like, she was young and he was telling her everything that she wanted to hear. Her dad died. So it's like, she was attracted to that and it was it was like it was no good for her it's at all. It's so interesting because like I mean you've been in relationships and you're in a relationship, I'm in a relationship, like 
a lot of times what you're looking for, you mm -hmm. find in other people. Yeah. So if you're looking for like, I don't know, like validation, mm -hmm. you can get that from someone usually. Yeah. And usually like what the other person doesn't have, the other person will provide they, it and vice yeah. versa. And usually it's to the detriment because but well, then, if you're looking for, for something outside of yourself, then yeah. I it think, can be bad. I don't know. I was reading something where it said, don't depend on, like, if you're in a relationship, don't depend on the other person to make you happy. Yeah. Like, you have to be happy within, within yourself. yourself. Yeah, you have to be happy you with yourself within and within yourself. yourself. But then it's like, if you're not, like, you're going to kind of be robbing that happiness from the other person yeah. if you don't already have it or if within they're yourself. a maniac and mm -hmm. gets high on the power, they will use it. Exactly. They know that you As a control. It. Yeah. Um, are you looking at black dresses? I'm like, I see like four in the line right Don't here. Don't look at that. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing? Um, I was trying to find something. So when I used to work for this one organization, it was, um, they used to do, they did therapy with children who were sexually abused. Mm. And it's very interesting. This is the talking about sexual abuse, but it's very interesting to see. Obviously, it's not the children's fault, but what type of kids or what type of circumstances predisposes a child to be sexually abused. So, like, hmm. um, I think it's like a statistic that if your parents are divorced, you're like, like your chances of being sexually abused is like really high. Definitely. Because, you, I, well, this is my interpretation, because if you don't have, let's say your parents are not there together, like that chance, broken home. Yeah, if they're not both home, their chances are you're going to be like, looking for the yeah or you're going to be like split up you know so you won't have both parents keep an eye on you like you'll be with one parent and does that make sense i, mean, I don't know that's it kind of does of it. like your parents are not together and so you're moving a lot more so it makes so you more vulnerable yeah and you're yeah it makes sense i never thought about that and then um so when we would do therapy with the kids we would try to explain to them this the circumstances surrounding the abuse and types of abuse so it's not so when it's sexual abuse it's not just the sexual act mm -hmm. of the adult you know doing to the child it's also the emotional and the manipulation that goes with it so a lot of times there's children who are vulnerable who maybe don't have parental figures around and so they're looking they're for looking guidance. for that yeah and mm -hmm. so a lot of times the abuser will use we'll like, take that yeah they'll, they'll take, take advantage, advantage of that so they'll yeah. give them they'll shower them with affection attention love have things that they don't have as a child so then and then they give them gifts and presents food if you're not being fed at home it's really it's true though if you don't have a home cooked there's, meal and someone's yeah, yeah. feeding you there's but, a there's but, a um, this so no. um, what was I gonna say um so basically, they use that. They, they use see, that yeah. to make the child. I get feel what you're guilty. saying. They see so a lot of times the child, the child will not come forward because they'll say like, "Well, I wanted this mm -hmm. because I wanted the affection, the love." So they the think attention. that it's okay, and so they feel guilty, like they brought it on themselves, the child. And so we have to tell them that, like, the fact that those things were given to you was not done in love, but it was done as an, yeah. an abusive way, and you need to understand that and not see what. Your, like your actions, quote unquote, as something that you did because mm -hmm. you did nothing wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I forgot. What I was, I was trying to find that. No, <laughs> no, no. It's I. I guess it's right. It made me think about another book that I read. 
Oh my God, what was it called? It was by the same author. It was called um, Lux. Lux stands for luxury. Mm -hmm. And this young girl kind of got caught up in the world of prostitution and pimping and things like that. So it kind of takes me back to like her first time being lured in by this guy. And she was staying with like this couple that was like her foster parents. And this guy came in and... I guess he was just telling her everything that she wanted to hear or just, you know what it was? It wasn't that. He was giving her the attention that she nobody else was, yeah. was giving her at that time. Yeah. Her parents were gone. She didn't have anything. She was basically a foster kid. This guy came in, older guy. She was like freaking 17 or 18. Well, she probably didn't have a father figure. She so. didn't. Her father was dead. So he basically... It's almost like that couple that had her like did an exchange of money for her and the the pimp guy mm-hmm. took her and initially treated her like she a girlfriend her. like his woman or whatever mm-hmm. like he praised her even though they were living in the house with like six other girls that were like tricking um and when she first went into the house one of the girls told her you know this is just like the honeymoon phase that you're going in he does that with everybody when he first brings you in You'll see. But in her mind, she felt that because he told her, you know, you're the most beautiful thing. You're this, you're that. She thought that she was like the only one, the best one. But as soon as she didn't agree what he wanted, you know, things went left. I don't know. It's crazy. I always start to think of, well, because like in social work, we always hear the victim side of the story, Mm -hmm. right? How they were treated and how. When he was good, he was really good. And then when he was bad, he wasn't. But then the hope of him being good again, like, always kept me there or whatever. Like, you hear that story, but you never hear from the abuser side. Like, why they did what they did? Yeah, or, or like, drove why, them to do it? Yeah, or how could you go from one minute loving this person, treating her like your princess and a queen and giving her everything to, like, treating her like garbage, you know? Like, on the abuser side, I kind of just want to know, like, how do you how do you reconcile that? Because, like, people who... From what I've seen, at least people who are abusive, they don't think of themselves as like mm-hmm. the bad guy. They like whenever they get caught, like, oh, well, she wanted this or she did something. Like they always have a reason, so they yeah. like in their mind they like excuse it. So I'm always wondering, like, it's, I guess what's it's like a defense process? mechanism. It's for definitely them. a defense mechanism, yeah. and it's a lie that they're believing in. But like they believe it for a reason. Like I wonder what what their thought process is that they're like, this is okay. Like I can beat this person, or or you know, because I was like, oh, well, she. She drove me mad, and so I had yeah. to do or whatever. It's just like, what? I don't know. She's like, I don't want to go there. No, I'm just <laughs> thinking, what does drive someone yeah. to do that? I'm like, uh, I was. it was a, a quick video about Tina. I don't know if you, you know, like the story about yeah. Ike and Tina Turner and all that stuff that she went through. There was a, a video that I recently saw. Oh, Oh, God. Have you seen that movie? Yeah, very sad. But it was a short clip with the husband, Ike. I think he's dead now, whatever. But he was being interviewed, and they were asking him, like, can you recall the times that you were abusive and physical with her? And why did you do what you did? And he kind of, like, laughed it off and was like, "Um, she just kept bitching, or she she kept doing something. And then, you know, I just slapped her around a couple times, and then that turned into more yeah. and I'm like well why does that make it right like what the hell well it definitely doesn't make it right and probably I don't know is it like an education thing where it's like you, like people who hit their kids 
Like some people I got hit as a kid. I mean, I got hit not not a beat. Not in a way to yeah. where I was like, oh, I'm going to school with a black eye or something. Yeah. No, that no. never happened. Dude, um, sorry, like going on a tangent, but when I went to Georgia, we took the train because mm-hmm. well, I don't know. We just wanted to like just see like what regular people see in Georgia, and not see the tourists. I never took the train in Georgia. I've been there like it a thousand nice. times. It was nice. Um, mm-hmm. but there was this guy who was talking about how he was disciplining his his stepson and he got he, he got charged with like child um, like child abuse or child because he yeah so I was listening to the story on the train because it was a long train ride and usually listen to my music but I wasn't he was talking like explaining how he got to the point where he got arrested for beating up the kid but he was saying that it was a step kid and that so it's not his kid right and he he wanted to get this kid into like a right path. Like basically just stop acting up in school, stop having mm-hmm. fights, stop getting detention. So like he wanted to teach him a lesson. So he would like, I guess use like physical punishment to teach him that. But I guess it got to the point where the kid like wasn't working for the kid because hitting kids usually doesn't work. Usually if, if it puts you, fear in them. If it works, it works the first time, mm-hmm. not keep having to go. Cause after that, like you, hitting them doesn't hurt. Exactly. Like you're going to have to kill them at that exactly. point. Exactly. But I guess with the kid, it, it just was not sinking in. And so I guess he got like expelled or something with the teacher. And so he kept warning the kid, like, you know, watch yourself. Like, I'm going to beat you up. Like, you got to stop this. Like, to warn him. And so I guess the kid came home from school. He got like a phone call from the teacher. And he's like, oh, like, I'll be ready for him. And so the kid comes, walks through the door. He's behind the door. He like ambushes the kid and starts punching him. Oh shit! And then he was then he was telling this friend he was like, um, and I was telling the kid like, see, I told you like what was gonna happen. You thought I was playing like I told you, and then the kid went to school with like his arm like bruised or something. I don't know. And the kid told like the teacher and he got Arrested, charged. Yeah. He got charged for it. And so he was telling, I'm guessing months after being released or something, how like this is so dumb and like I can't believe they did that. And then I guess the judge told him like, you can't leave marks. Yeah. On the kid, and he's like, "Well, now I know for the future." Like, okay, that's enough. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? Not really bad, but he basically, <laughs> yeah, but basically, so like gives you more but, leeway I mean, to do other stuff, but think, just not to leave marks. Yeah. You leave and then more. the guy said, "You can't like certain objects you can't use." I don't know, whatever. But the, then the guy was like, "I didn't know that." Like he, it never occurred. Oh, really? You couldn't leave marks on the kid, and I'm thinking, like, maybe okay, there's dumb. well, maybe there's some people who aren't educated their iq might be low i don't know trying to give them the benefit of the doubt i don't think there's anybody that thinks that if you beat your kid and you leave marks on them and they go to school and someone sees it that they're just gonna oh yeah your mom beat you cool in this day and age no i mean i remember you would think so but the way the guy was telling the story like he truly was like he learned something that day that you cannot leave marks on kids like and i was just like i'm sorry he's a fool i mean he definitely is a fool but I, yes, as a kid, I wasn't very mischievous, but I did some crap as a kid, as all kids do. Yeah. And I can probably count the times that I've been actually beat with like a like an actual belt. I have been beat with a belt. It was for me. It wasn't a belt, it was a hand. And that was it. Like, oh, it damn. just scared me. It hurts. It and I'm, all, I'm like the scaredy cat. Like, I don't want nobody <laughs> hitting on me. Like, what? Um, but yeah, I've been beat. With a belt, and I've had whelps. I have had welt, welt, whips on my arm, like where your skin welds up. Yeah. Um, I mean, it went down. Um, I think the worst for me was like I was playing in my old house, and 
my sis, me and my sister are four years younger. When she was younger, she looked more, much younger than what she is now. We kind of look more like close in age. Mm-hmm. But I think we, we were playing school and I made her fall backwards and she like hit her head on the ground. And my mom like got up and started yelling at me. And she's like, what are you doing to my baby and all this stuff? And I'm like, I didn't do anything to her. And like, yeah. she's like chasing me throughout the house. Dude, that's what I did too. We had oh bunk beds. And I went up we to the top of the bunk bed. <laughs> My mom's like, get down. I'm like, no, you're going to hit me. I was like, yeah, I know. I'm like, so I'm not getting down. She's, She's like, say, yeah, down. I know. My mom threw an umbrella at me. My mom threw a big ass umbrella at me to get me to stop. It hit me on my back. I fell at that time. Um, I had braces back then. Mm-hmm. So when I fell, I mean, the impact of the umbrella, yeah, it hit me. But I mean, it was because I had braces. I ended up hitting my mouth on the floor and like, my lip actually got caught oh. into the braces. So it's like my lips were swollen and I'm like, I can't go to school <laughs> like this. Like somebody just beat me up. So of course that day I didn't go back to school, but yeah, that scared me, but I knew what I did was wrong. I mean, maybe she shouldn't have took it to that extent yeah. to I throw mean, a damn umbrella at me, but yeah, I like, don't know. With my mom, like with my parents, they were like beaten, like my like whips like yeah. back in the day. So like, the way I think of it, like, my mom did way less than, like, my yeah. grandparents. And yeah. I think she learned from doing that, too, that it wasn't, like, the way to go about things. I think after, mm-hmm. like, a couple years, she stopped, like, using physical punishment. But, yeah. I think for me. it just didn't work. Yeah. I think for me, my dad, it was my mom doing the beatings. My yeah, dad. My, my dad never. You know, my dad, all he had to do to put fear in us was look at us and yeah. raise his voice. And still to this day, he can still do that. And it's like a. Okay, you you've commanded my attention now, yeah. but um, yeah, he never like raised his hand to us at all. Like I never. Know. I think it's common sense, but then it's not common sense. Like in school, we learned that like a lot of babies, well, not a lot of babies, but like a thing that happens that babies are shook. Oh, uh, like will sh- yeah, the rattling. Yeah, yeah, that's not. And you, you can't think, shake babies. You can't, but like I guess I don't know. So I think there should be like parenting classes. Or- there are, but some people yeah. think that or like free or like mandatory. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> first time moms like yeah. you need to learn how to lay your baby down. People shaking babies like really. Sad. Well, who shakes babies? People do that. Look, okay. Like just to do it, who does no, that? Like I'm cry. so afraid to Look, shake them. Shaking babies when they cry, when they don't stop crying, shaking babies. Oh syndrome. no, you gotta be uh-uh. a serious brain injury Mm-mm. from forcefully shaking an infant or toddler. Oh, anger, frustration. Okay. Fewer than 2,000 cases in the U.S. per year. That's still a lot. It Symptoms causes them brain damage. Irritability, difficulty, staying awake. Severely, Seizures. Yeah, it causes brain damage. Severely shakes a child in frustration or anger, often because the child won't stop crying. Permanent damage, brain damage or death. Oh, no. You know what But it happens. I can't. But then it's like, they shouldn't be doing that, but also it's like, they maybe they don't know they don't, what to do. Or they don't know how to like use that Cradle frustration and, yeah. and use it in a different way. And so they act out. Sometimes I I think that's one of the that's reasons so why my guards are up and I kind of know my limits with not working with kids and stuff like that. Cause I can't do it. No. I can't. What, having kids? No, I can't work with kids. Oh yeah, no. Oh my god, did you hear that? It's too much. There was like something on the news. That like some kid committed, what's some kid? A child committed suicide, and I guess they told us allegedly told the social worker, and the social worker didn't do anything, and now she's getting charged. Oh no, I didn't hear that story. Yeah, 
No. That's all that sounds like a classic story because I don't know it if you happened. remember like yeah. five, maybe not even ten years. I think within the last ten years, it was actually here within I don't know if it was Data Broward County, but there were some DCF workers that was oh, a, yeah, aware workers. of like some child abuse situations and to avoid doing like a bunch of paperwork or reporting or whatever that they usually do. They didn't do anything about yeah. the issue and like there was like two kids that ended up like being beaten to death or yeah. sexually abused or something and they yeah. were aware of it and they got charged and they went to jail. Remember that time at the hospital when that one lady, the son like Oh my god, like that. that imagine something happened to her and I didn't say anything and then they traced it back to me and they were like You knew you knew in this lady's life. I remember I got so much shit for like trying. Well, I thought sure that was kind of like the last straw for you. Like you was like, yeah, I oh yeah, the fuck after, out of after here. That, I felt like that was like the icing on the cake. Like uh, no, no, no. When bye she bye. went into a thing about how it's Hispanic culture and that's what they do, I was literally like, I'm like, I'm done. okay, who's been beating up on you? Okay, yeah, lady. I'm done. Like, yeah, that's not that's not cool in any way. It was just so inappropriate. But I feel like I, I mean, feel like social worker. That's also like systems that. Are just business as usual, or don't, or that it's overwhelmed. It's an too, issue. It's know? an issue also in the hospital, um, because you know how we used to do presentations in the old job, like the whole um, new employee orientation. So I have to continue to do that. You're doing that, I haven't. I went and observed a social worker doing it. How but... many rights does a person lose when they walk through this door? Oh Zero. But no, they don't talk about <laughs> rights. They more talk about like abuse and I like report reporting abuse. and stuff like that. So a lot Which of people, important. it is a lot of people come through like the emergency room, DCF cases, alleged abuse, this or that. And what they're finding is a lot of people are coming in and they'll report it to a nurse or a doctor or somebody like that. And because in their mind, they're like, oh, well, that's really social work or social services department. So we'll report it to them later or it will never get reported. So it's like, I guess people in the medical setting, it's like they have in their mind that's for that department to deal with. So we'll just, it'll just, it'll just get passed on to them Whenever, but yeah. we're not there 24 hours we'll, a day. Or we'll put the blame on someone else. Or someone else will Yeah, it. but my thing is, like... like I'm just a co- doctor. I just care about their physical health. One it. of my coworkers was like, yes, while we're here, we can handle those issues. But if something is happening at 6 o'clock, we're gone by 5. If something's happening at 10, 1 o'clock in the morning... You're all you all work in this healthcare facility. You're all considered mandated reporters. If somebody tells you something, and this is the standard abuse hotline that you can call and report something to. So why it's like I don't know if people have the fear of calling because everything doesn't even get accepted by DCF when you call. Yeah. So I think I've only had like maybe two things that was actually accepted. I mean, I think it's also like let's say someone falls down or whatever, you don't want you don't want to get involved and you don't want retaliation too. Like let's say, I don't know, I don't know the story, but let's say the mom was abusive to the kids and then the social worker has to go do that report and then follow up with that parent. What if that parent is also Oh yeah, you mean if the parent said, Well you were the one Yeah, that... I got a call from DCF and I know it was you, like I mean, don't you discuss that in the beginning when you gain your damn report? Like I, don't, I never I don't ever I never worked for DCF. So like I never want to. <laughs> no, I'm serious. <laughs> That's like, oh, you're a social worker. You take people, kids away. You work for DCF. It's like, I... it's like no one wants to do that. And then, and then you hear those stories of people giving people second, third chances, and then they fuck no. it up. And then it's like, well, how do? You, well, you should have known. It's like, well, you uh-uh. want to give the person the benefit of the doubt. 
yeah, you do, but you got it's you hard. Have, it's hard. I feel like there it's is hard. no there's no benefit of the doubt when there's kids involved. I mean, if you have concrete evidence and there's abuse, then yeah, yeah I don't know. They need to understand, like you have young, vulnerable kids involved that can't speak for themselves, or you have someone old. We get a lot. I've, I'm seeing more a lot of people, older people coming in, you know, malnourished, full of bed sores. I mean, I don't know if it's that the family members just don't really have the proper time to like properly care for them, or they just don't give a shit. It's like I'm working all day, they're home laying in the bed, whatever. I don't, th- I don't know if it's necessarily they don't give a shit. I would hope not, right? Who knows? Maybe they're taking their social security check and exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Home. They're depending. People are doing that, so yeah. it's like I see that more, and it's like you don't want to report someone's son or daughter, but if they're the one that they're living with, and someone's someone's back and butt is just broken down to where you can see the bone, I'm sorry, that's neglect. I'm sorry. Oh, I agree, that's neglect. But do I think it is a <sighs> malicious like? purposeful thing no maybe it didn't start off that way but yeah when someone is like their bone is exposed yes yeah, that's you, it's just like it's like shaking baby syndrome like you can't there's no way to go back from that sss <laughs> sbs no, there's no way to go back shaking from that like syndrome. sbs that's know? what that is i don't know it's quality of life it's hard man and then we're the ones who have to like witness that and report it. It's just like fuck. Can you just like not harm each other? But you know what? I noticed a a lot of the I hear a lot of the um hospital social workers using DCF to like report issues that families are going through to actually get them resources. Because you know, if DCF gets a call about you know, someone living home alone, they can't take care of themselves, or maybe there's alleged neglect from the family, they can kind of expedite the processes of getting like services in place for someone. So I hear it more so here with like, you know, we're not calling DCF to to get you put in jail, but to help you. When I was at the old place, I always heard DCF as in like, no, we're calling to report you. We're yeah. calling to get you removed from your home. We're yeah. it, it was like more of like a negative perspective to me with DCF. Yeah. So, damn. Good stuff. I don't know. So just be nice to your social worker because <laughs> we have a lot of different things that we're trying to juggle. and Yeah. So lots of process. I think. A lot to process. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm dealing with people, I have to take a step back when I'm done because I'm like, you know, I just took in all of this emotion. If the person is sad and crying, you taking you come like taking those emotions. If the person is like frustrating, yelling and cursing, yeah. you taking those emotions and it's like I don't know. I don't know. I always try to think like, what's the motive? Like, what's going on here? Like, yeah, they're screaming. Yeah, they're crying. They're upset. But like. Yeah, what, what is, are they what really, really, why are they really, yeah. yeah. What yeah. is really going on here? And yeah, try to be what, objective because. I don't take it personal. Especially when they're angry at you. Yeah, like I don't take it like I personally did something to you. That's why you're yelling at me. No. It can feel like that though. Yeah, well, of course it can. But um, I've had family members very frustrated yelling, cursing, mm-hmm. and you're not doing this. You're not doing that. You're supposed to, I, I hear that you're supposed to be a social worker. You're supposed to do this. You're supposed to do that. And I'm like, there's always so much I can do with what I have. Like I'm not a miracle worker. 
it's like all the systems are working against you. Mm-hmm. Healthcare. Um, Damn insurance. Insurance. Government regulations. Mm-hmm. It's it's really a it's really a setup because there's there are people that come in with Medicare straight Medicare somebody over the age of sixty five or over over the age of sixty five someone that just has fallen just had surgery to you you would say okay they need rehab to recuperate but then if they're under an observation status in the hospital. They don't even meet the criteria to go into rehab unless it's acute rehab. And if they don't have a specific diagnosis, it's like, okay, they're not going to get in rehab. They're just going to go home with a broken yeah. hip. To me, it's like, it's a system that's set up to like fail at first. It's person. a broken system. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really bad. I'm like, the way things are set up, it's, it's, not, it's not for anybody. It's not preventative. I feel like also, too, a lot of people just see their part. Like, the system doesn't work as like a moving unit. Mm-hmm. It's more just like, these little different parts and this is what we do this is what we need yeah and then you just get this like haphazard system that's not working you hear that this is this is what we do this is the only thing that we're going to do and no one is going to do anything outside of that to help somebody the resources they don't don't give them the resources or the ability to do that i think with homeless people um that's something that i'm seeing now we get a lot of homeless people that come in and um we were talking about that at lunch the other day like what can fix this problem? You can't fix it if somebody is in their right mind and they continue to want to live on the streets. I mean, I think fixing is just an interesting word, right? Because what does fix mean? Make it better? I don't know. Yeah, see, it's like, how do you fix something that is dependent on so many different factors? If they have a mental illness. Mm Mm-hmm. They're probably like if they're schizophrenic and paranoid, they're probably not gonna go to a ninety-five job, pay rent, pay for electricity. Like they're not gonna be able to do that. There is a case someone comes in every so often, very frequently. Um, I mean, she's. I think I told you about this case. The lady. Yeah, it's like she kind of wants you to do the legwork for her. Mm-hmm. She's very capable of doing it herself, but because of the frustration of you know, waiting for applications to be processed, waiting in lines, oh, yeah, waiting for it. this. She does it's like she just has this mentality of, I've been through that already. I don't want to do it. And I'm like, no, you have to get through all of these hardships to get to the end goal. And she's like, well, what is the end goal? And I'm like, hell, if you don't see it, the hell, how do I see it? Is that one movie Into the Wild or something? Into, Into the, the Wild. Have you ever seen this movie? It's so good. It sounds familiar. It's based on a book. I is that with the monster? No. No. Okay, so it's there's I don't want to mess up. The Why does this sound so familiar? It's so good, but it's basically this guy who comes from like everything, like privilege and stuff and has everything who wants to live completely in the woods in Alaska. Like that's his dream. Mm. He wants to get rid of all his worldly possessions, get rid of everything. And so in the process he like faces homelessness. Like mm. and like purposely does not want like, does not want to have an ID, does not want to have money. Like, he just wants to live off of the earth. Wow. And that's his goal. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a really, it's a really good way. So, what, what was the end? No, I don't, I don't I, know. I, if you, you, you tell me. I, don't. I think you should watch it. But it's just his goal is to live in the wild, to live with nature. He doesn't want a car. He doesn't, um, he doesn't want to live in a home. He doesn't want a, 
a bank account. And so when he's in the process of transitioning to like living on the living off of the earth, like he meets these because he gets becomes homeless. He meets people who are like, oh, like, you know, we'll give you an apartment. We'll give you a bank account. We'll give you a monthly stipend just to get you off your feet and you can have a house again. You can be, you know, integrated into society. And he's like, no, I don't want any of that. And by like as a choice, he does not want that. His goal is to go to Alaska and live out in the wild. Wow. And be like a wild person. Did he get to do it? Yes. But there's stuff that happens. Obviously. Oh God. I mean, I don't want to ruin the story. The I will still watch it. I don't care. I'll still watch it. it it's a good thing to talk. Well, I don't, I don't. Just play the trailer. You want to play the trailer? Okay. Well, I don't think we can play that though. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Okay, how about we pause and then we can watch the. So I don't know if it's on Netflix. We just saw the. Tra- well, Trisha just saw the trailer. Um, but it's based on a true story. Wow. So somebody really did that. It's oh, based wow. On a true story. That looks very interesting. I mean, it, it, it makes you think. My sis- Me and my sister were talking about um, <laughs> a family member that's uh, a little materialistic and. She's really attached to, you know, cars and different, you know, money, things like that. Yeah. And we were saying, you know, when you die, you can't take none of that stuff no, with you. Can't. You can't take any of it with you. So why be so selfish with it in so many ways during the time that you're here, especially with someone that is in need of it or with someone that if the tables were turned, will give you the world on a silver platter if they have the opportunity to, or at least just give you whatever they have in their yeah. world. Um, so, yeah. I don't know, dying, I guess we're going to talk about dying. Um, I can't wait to tell you the end of the movie, though. Okay. I will still will watch it. you guys hate me if I tell you? So he dies. What? Yeah. The man? He dies. And so he wrote a... Damn. <laughs> I ruined it. Um, so he, he wrote, like, a journal. Did a bear eat him or something? He wrote a journal. About his whole like um, adventure, his whole adventure. This is how they made the movie. That they made the movie based off of his journal. Wow! And the last thing that he writes about is how he's dying. So he goes to Alaska. He finds like that that abandoned car or something. Mm-hmm. He sets up his own little home. He's like happy, like I'm finally here in Alaska. Um, and then he has a book of like um, poisonous and non poisonous plants. Okay. He gets one of the pants plants confused. Oh shoot! So he eats a poisonous plant, and I think it was like like thirty minutes or something that like you'll start feeling the symptoms, and then you'll eventually die in thirty minutes. Yeah, it, it wasn't exactly, but there was like some time where he had time to process and be like, "Oh fuck, I'm dying." So then, like the last page in a journal, he realizes that like, yeah, he was searching for wilderness and finding himself and stuff, but he missed something, which is human connection, mm. being with his family, being with his friends, being around people. He realized that he completely missed that because he spends his whole journey like, no, I'm going to be my own person. I'm going to go into the wilderness. Like that's really important, which it is, but he missed the main component of life, which is being around people. And so like, that's like his regret. And that's how he dies alone. Yeah. Oh my God. It's really intense. I recommend the movie. Um, Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) That sounds intense. It just makes you think about life and like, some of the things that we have and hold on to and just um, sometimes so, I I think the older I get, the more I just wish I can just walk outside every day and just like wear my hair like this and not 
I don't know why you don't, Takesha. I think you look super cute with your hair like so that. I have worn my hair like this at work, cute. but every day it's like, it's a task to even get it to look like this and all that stuff. It's just a task. And I think sometimes I overthink it. And I think that if I go out, like it's going to be like, I'm looked at as like this wild woman or like this, I don't know, unkept or whatever, but it's, it's very carefree. It's very comfortable. It's a very good feeling to just get up and be like, okay, whatever. This is just the hair. But I, I mean, feel like with society, it's just I like, definitely agree with society. There's like this standard. expectation or like a, a stereotype that if you're as a black woman, if your hair is not done to yeah. perfection, then that's why we're so obsessed with yeah. like, okay, I'm getting my hair done now. I'm gonna take it out. Well, what it's always like, what are you gonna do next? You know, what's the next thing? And sometimes yeah. I'm just like, I just don't care. But I feel like also too, this is as a person who Obviously, I've never walked in your shoes, so I don't know what it's like, but I feel like um, visibility is important, and I feel like seeing more natural hair breaks barriers Yeah, to I agree. acceptance for that. I agree. So for the instead of the standard being you have to have your hair um, completely done, that natural hair is beautiful. Did you hear the, what is it, Miss Universe? She's South African. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, think I saw that. Important. I think it's important, too. Um I just think for a long time, it's just been in my head and conditioned, like, you know, your hair has to be done or this or that, or even like that quick meltdown I had before I interviewed for the job that I have, like, oh, my mom was like, you got to do something your hair. But I did, I did it myself. Like, I just did the regular two little twists, but like, I did it really neat. I like kind of put some gel on it. Like, it looked neat. But to her, I guess she she's thought- from a different generation. Yeah, very much Where so. that was like a reality. Yeah. To her, it was just, you know, you're trying to get a better job. You're going into a, a bigger, different setting. So you need to kind of look and play the part. And I kind of felt like if they're going to like me, they're going to hire me for this because of what I'm going to bring to the table and contribute to this team. Not because how I'm walking it with my hair. Of course, I'm not going to walk in and look like yeah, obviously you're Chucky off of um, <laughs> Rugrats or something. Which you've never looked like. Yeah, so. so I'm like, what's the big deal? And yeah. like, I've gotten compliments on it at work, I but like I don't know. Like you ever heard that saying, it's your own kind that will bring you down? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's or, pretty uh, bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of <laughs> different. You know what? I think about that because yeah. here there is a a natural hair community, but if you go somewhere, say like the DMV area, like DC, Maryland, and Virginia, no. it's huge there. Like I remember we went to visit natural my cousins. Hair? Yes, like in the black community, it's crazy big there. I mean, we went to we walked on um Howard University's campus and we walked into a bookstore and how was my hair? I think my hair was in the two twists and I had like some hair out or whatever. And the girl was like, oh, my God, your hair is so cute. And then her hair was an afro. The lady behind the register's hair was, like, cut short natural. And it's, like, 20 women in here, all natural hair. So it's, like, I kind of fast forward to walking in a Walmart with my mom and my uncle years ago. And my hair was out. And every black woman here is, like, and not to judge anybody because, you know, we all have our own preference. But everyone either had, like, a lace front, a wig, or whatever weave in their hair so it's like all eyes is on me like well where are you going with your hair looking like that like you look wild but it's like you go somewhere else and it's embraced more yeah. I think so Miami's always behind in something 
<laughs> we're way <laughs> behind. Like we're oh my god. That's nothing new. Um yeah. I don't know. Do you have any New Year's resolutions? I have New Year's resolutions. Do I, yeah. I need to stick to them. Every year it's like I'm gonna lose 20 pounds. It's 2020. I'm gonna do oh god. Today's, That's gonna be a big a thing. It's 2020, so lose 20 pounds. Okay, I don't know about that. Um, so I'm actually going to California tomorrow. Actually, tomorrow. Yeah. Oh my. What time do you leave? You don't go to work tomorrow. I have you took time off. No, I, I I'll probably get off at three, and then my flight's at seven, so I have a little couple hours. Okay. Um, so I'm actually gonna go visit my dad, who recently. I mean, you know, we we talked about our dads before. Like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if we would call them estranged, but they don't live in the same state as us. They don't. And like for me, I didn't really grow up with my dad in like the same state, so mm-hmm. um, so it'll be good to visit him. And uh, recently, he's been diagnosed with leukemia. Yeah, I remember you told me that. And yeah. so um, basically, it's uncurable because of his kidney disease. He's like, on dialysis as well. He's been right? on dialysis for like twenty years almost, so it's like end stage of his kidney disease, and so. I'm going to go see him and hopefully spend time with him. And then um, it's kind of up in the air of whether or not, like, how long. Are you going by yourself? I'm going by myself, yeah. Okay. I need to go by myself. So, wait, you don't know how long you're going to be there? No, I don't know how long my dad will live. Does that make sense? Oh. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. No. Because of what's going on. Because of what's going on and the leukemia status. Like, I mean, he's getting some chemo, but it's not like a bone marrow transplant and all that stuff. Which would be necessary, like to cure it, because it's too far. Because he's just not healthy enough. His body couldn't handle it. Anyway, he wouldn't um, respond to it. And it, I don't know. I think it would co- like because we come from social background. I think it would cause more harm than good. Yeah. Um, I don't know. And so, as like a social worker, I've always been on the other side of like, this is what you need to know. Try to be objective. Try not to get emotional. Obviously, be there for the person, but try not to get entangled with it and I feel like for the first time I'm like on the other side mm-hmm. where I'm like unsure what's happening where's he gonna live is he gonna get rehab does mm-hmm. he get rehab like it's is a he getting hospice is he getting um, it's a role I mean palliative it's, care it's good that you're aware of those things of like kind of like what but, the options are beforehand but, but it doesn't it, it doesn't it does nothing <laughs> no it doesn't um I can't prevent anything I can't wiggle my way um and then but I think what counts the most and what would probably help him is that you are going to spend time with yeah. him and you're just going to just sometimes just being there, even yeah. though you may not have any control over the situation, yeah. you may not can, I don't know, stop yeah. what's going on, but just being present and being there with him is probably going to really make a difference um, in these yeah. days right now. I mean, like I've never really experienced like the death of a loved one. Like I've had older people, but not family, no one close. Not no one that I was really close with, or someone who was relatively young, or like something that would be a surprise. Like if it's an older person, I'd be like, okay, you know, they're in the eighties, nineties, yeah. like that's expected. But for someone who's younger, I've never like gone through that, and uh, I don't. It's just like a weird feeling. I think I've known for like two weeks now, and so mm. like the first did couple he call of, you? Yeah, he called me. The first couple of days, I was like angry hmm. angry at who i don't know i was just like angry that like he would go through this yeah and then i don't know i was just thinking like of like people that we've like helped or like we've helped them maybe it's like anticip- maybe you're going through like anticipatory grief or something i don't know yeah like anger frustration mm-hmm. just like the realization i mean because it just some things in life just seem unfair you know 
Yeah, it wouldn't be life if it was. There's no other way to explain it. It just, it's kind of like, damn. Like, I mean, like, what I was thinking is, like, my dad's been in Dallas for 20 years. And for, like, his last few, you know, months, years to end like this, I was just, like, angry. Not at anyone in particular. It just, yeah, I just want him felt to suffer. That. Yeah, you yeah. know. And so yeah. that was, like, an interesting feeling. And then, like, and then I immediately went to, like, um, like memories. I don't know. Oh, like playing trying, back memories. Yeah, playing back memories, which I've never done either. Just trying mm. to like think of like all like the good stuff, so I can like remember it and like really reflect enjoy on them all those times. Yeah, them. I mean, all those times will still yeah. be with you. Yeah, inside. Um, yeah, and so then it just reminded me of like your grandma. And, like, I know. Oh my the god. That you've I had that. I, I, I had a meltdown. I had a meltdown moment. <laughs> but like, I was just thinking, like, I've never experienced that. I feel like um, going through this, I understand a little bit more of like what you or other people have gone through when they've lost like a loved one it's oh my god it's so hard it's like um i'm not gonna cry now i hope not but um no no it's it's tissue right there it's, you're good no it's um, hard though no 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 it's fine soft you'll make it soft with, I, think, <laughs> I think both deaths even though it happened one is 2013 the other one my grandfather was 2001, so I was only 11 years old. Okay. So, we so both deaths, both your the grandmothers, yeah, yeah, that was within the last 10 years. Um, my grandfather's death, you know, he was sick, diabetic, he had cardiac issues, he was in a nursing home. Um, so it was expected, kind of, it was expected, but it wasn't expected. Like when he died, he had a massive heart attack. Um, and it was a shocker because we would go and visit him like multiple times a week. We would spend time with him, take him outside, like a regular family, like at the, the nursing home or whatever. And I mean, he was still in his right mind and everything, but I guess, I don't know, maybe it was that unhealthy. He had a heart attack. And who took it the hardest was, was my mom because she was like a daddy's girl. Oh my God. She took it very hard. And I think initially... We were we were still young. She wanted to be strong for us and the family. And it didn't I don't think it really hit her until like a year later. And um That's crazy. Yeah. It didn't hit her until well, a year later. Crazy, and she just, you know, I don't know, just slipped into like this really severe depression. That was in two thousand and one. Mm-hmm. It well the death happened in two thousand one, but everything with my mom happened in, like two thousand two. Um, it didn't really affect us that much because I think we were so young. Yeah. We knew that he was gone and I, I understood about death and stuff like that. But the real deaths that hit me um, were the two grandmothers, the one that I was taking care of at home. You know, when, when she died, it hit me months. Mom. Yeah, it hit me months later that she wasn't there. And I think that was like a pivotal moment for me because I kind of felt like, me taking care of her, you know, just graduating, getting the undergraduate, coming back home, not finding a job, helping to take care of her. I felt like I had a true purpose. And I'm like, you know, my purpose is to be here for her, make sure she's comfortable, you know, just give her whatever she needs. I thought that that was my purpose for the moment. But then when she died, I was like, damn, like, what's my purpose now? Like, what is it that I, what am I going to do now that she's gone? So it's like, I kind of Felt like that when she died. When you say purpose, like purpose in life, or purpose? I think yeah, at that moment I felt to like, take care of her. Yeah, I guess I took on that responsibility. Like that was my purpose for that moment. But then when she died, I kind of felt like, okay, what do I do now? It was weird. I don't know. It's hard to explain. 
As in, like, you had spent so much time caring for her, like, your days and minutes. Yeah, and and yeah. It's like, she's not. Yeah, it's like, what do I yourself? do with myself now? Yeah. That's how I felt. I've never, I don't think I've ever cared for someone like that. Yeah. It's, really it's almost like, like a child, almost. Yeah. Like, she was your child the way mm-hmm. you cared for her. Yeah. I guess I don't think I thought about it like that, but I guess so. That's yeah. what it sounds like, right? Not not like to say it's a bad thing. I'm just saying like it just sounds like I don't know. When I think of caring for someone, I think of a mother like caring for her kids, and then if they were taken away from her, it's like it's like what, what do, do I do, do with do? myself? Yeah, now, yeah, that's what it sounds. I had those feelings. Yeah, it's like what now? Sorry, what now? Um, I think it it wasn't that I was sad that she died because she was suffering for a long time yeah. with dementia and her body just shutting down and everything. And I, I, in a lot of ways, I saw the, the death coming. I was telling my boyfriend maybe a week before it happened. I was like, you know, she's another week. She's, she's not going to make it. So that was like my exact words. We were going to get food one day. And I told him, I was like, by next week, She's she's gonna be gone, and it happened the just the way I said it, and in one way I was relieved that she was no longer suffering. But then, of course, in another way, she was no longer here with us. Yeah. Um, the hardest part of that was, of course, telling my family because I was the one that found her, and it was like I guess looking back on that, I didn't really realize how tough like. That was like really tough. I didn't traumatic. Yeah, I didn't really. I don't Do think you want to explain. Well, not explain, but just like so you. What do you mean? So when she passed, you were the first person. Yeah. So when she passed, um, I was in the house. She was in the house, and every morning I would get up. I would use the bathroom, shower, whatever, and then I would go. I would bathe her in the bed. I would get her out of bed if she had the strength to get up. Put her in the wheelchair. Get her breakfast and everything, um, but. That a few days before that happened, my mom and my uncle actually decided to put her on hospice. So we had the hospital bed set up in the in her room and everything. Um, this was only like a day or two in on hospice, and of course, with my experience with like nursing or whatever, even though I'm not an actual RN, but of course I know about vital signs. I know about you know someone's pulse and oxygen, and if their breathing is shallow, and when somebody's dying and stuff like that. So I saw those signs and. We kind of knew that it would it would be any day, but I don't think anybody knew it was going to happen that day. But um, when I woke up that particular morning, I her bedroom door was open, so I went and I just stood by the door and um, I just looked in and I I could see that something was wrong and um, I just went a little bit closer to her and I just. I just saw her face and then I just saw that her body was not moving and I knew that she wasn't breathing. So um, I just, I felt for a pulse as you would on anybody and I didn't feel anything. So immediately I, I was like, I know not to call my mom because she's going to be like hysterical on the phone. So I called my uncle, the one that's currently living with us. And I told him, you know, what's going on. It doesn't look like she's, you know, breathing. And he's like, okay, I'm going to come just, Stay there, just calm down and call 911. So I called 911 and the opera on the phone, of course, put me through like 20 questions. How old is she? Da, 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 and like asked me all these questions. And I'm like, my God, somebody finds a dead body somewhere. You're going to be asking somebody all these questions. Um, so you told the operator that? Yeah, I passed, told them what happened. And, they asked and I, t- yeah. Demographics her, of her? 
they were just saying like, how old is she? You know, does she have a does she have a medical condition of what of whatever? Was she a DNR? Um, and then the operator was like, well, you need to start. She was like, you you need to start doing chest compressions. You know, if you do CPR. But was she a DNR? That's really hard though to ask them to do have exactly. You do that. That's that's traumatic. It was itself. just like. It was just a lot going on and in that moment. No, I did refuse. I, I, I just was like, I'm not like, no, I knew that she was gone. I just knew I couldn't just sit there and stare at her and just be like, okay, she's gone. What do I do now? It's like, okay, she's gone. This is rough, but reality, you need to call somebody. You need to do something. Like you can't just stand here for an hour and not do nothing. So the lady on the phone was just like, you need to start chest compressions. You need to do this. You need to do that. And I was telling the lady, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do that to her because I know that she's gone. So why am I going to you know, pound on her chest or whatever? So I didn't do it. Um, my uncle came. Um, paramedics came. Fire rescue came. Like a bunch of people came. Did they try to resuscitate her? They did for like a moment or so. Um, and of course she was gone by then. So, you know, it was, it was That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, it was rough. But just going through that and then having to be the one to be the messenger to just go down the line and tell everybody was See, just. I don't know why that. That was, was the hard. Oh my god, that was the hardest part. You know, finding her that was hard. But then going down the line and telling everybody else was like it was even worse for me because I'm like. I mean, do you have any like? Not regrets, but is there anything in that circumstance that you wish you would have done differently that you're hard on yourself about? I think I think I should have given myself more time to like grieve yeah. and actually let out what I was feeling because I can remember my mom and my sister being like hysterical and I felt like because I was her caregiver um during the day they took over at night like I don't know I just saw the way they were and I felt like okay it's the three of us we've been here taking care of her they're down and out like they're out of it like I felt like somebody had to be strong out of us and I felt like if the two of them are down I need to stand up and kind of be the backbone why do you think that though I don't know because I felt like somebody had to be I just felt like there's three of us we all can't be down and out somebody has to like pick up the pieces and be like, okay, okay, we're going to do this today. Okay. We have to get funeral arrangements, even though it was done, but of course the call and pick things out or whatever, like, I don't know. And my, it's funny, my god sister, she lives in Atlanta. Um, she used to live with, with us when we were younger. She could see, she had told my sister, she's like, I haven't seen, she hadn't seen me cry. And she was like, something's wrong. She's like, I haven't seen her cry. I haven't seen her broke down. So it's almost like she was reading through what I was going through. And she saw that I wasn't really expressing what was really going on. I kind of was just walking around like everything is okay. So do you feel like you ever gave yourself like time to grieve it? Um, or the space to grieve it? Probably not fully. And I think that's, I don't know, maybe that's one of the reasons why with working at like the nursing home, I would get like so attached to some patients and stuff like that and try to like really go hard for families and their first time dealing with someone with dementia and really trying to like guide them on what to expect and what to do. 
I think that's probably what drove me into like going into social work as well. But I don't know. I don't think I really gave myself full time to like grieve and process all that. I don't think so, no. And it's also like, how do you, how do you grieve someone? Different ways. I mean, I can cry myself to sleep. I can cry myself so to sleep. Crying, yeah, like crying, crying spells. Like I think with the holidays around now, like um, my boyfriend came over the other day and I, I cooked food and something happened with the oven. So it's like, it, it was a disaster, but uh-huh. I would, I don't know why it's like, you know, have you ever cried? And it's like, you don't know why you're crying, but then you just like kind of sit and process everything. Yeah. It's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I was, sometimes you don't have words. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I was telling him I'm crying because the food didn't come out. The oven was bad. And I just was like in a daze staring at him and he's like, something is wrong. Like, why are you looking at me like that? And it just, it, it was like an epiphany. It hit me why I was crying. I was really crying because it's the holidays and it doesn't really feel like Christmas to me. And it's like dealing with a certain side of my family. It's like, I don't want to deal with them. It's like, it's not the way it was when I was younger. And I think about my grandmothers, they were the, like the glue that held each side of the, the families together. And that brought out, I don't know, I guess happiness and just that unity of the families. And it's it's not like that on either sides anymore. And I guess just thinking about that with the holidays and seeing people with their families and yeah. doing different things, it makes me think about that. And I just started crying. I'm like, that's why I'm crying because it's like, I miss them so much, but... Um, when did your grandmother pass away? Which one? The, the other one? Mom? My mom's mom? mom was 2000... Do you know, like, what month? Um, Or, like, what season? It wasn't... It wasn't December, no. Is it February? I think it was February. Yeah. Remember how we were talking about like how a lot there are a lot of deaths on like Christmas or during the holidays yeah. and stuff. And I was thinking like, damn, like my dad got news like or, like around this time. Not saying he's gonna die now, but just an interesting time. I don't know. I don't. What does like? I guess it's like the end what of does the, the holidays bring yeah, up? Yeah. What does the holiday bring up? I don't know. For me, with all the stuff I'm talking about, it brings up. Mem- I don't know. For me, it brings up memories about how things used to be. It brings up family, and of course, families that are no longer here. So it's like maybe in my mind, I'm wishing. I'm wishing that they were here and they're not, yeah. and that's what makes me sad. Um, when I think of ho- like the holidays, I think of like not the end, but like an ending, or like the culmination of the whole year coming to an oh, end. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's like a time to like think reflect. back, reflect on past things, the past year, past other past holidays. And I feel like, and then you obviously have January and spring and stuff, which is like a new beginning. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's something not sad, but just like, like, like in you're order, purging in order to, everything. Yeah. In order to like honor what's what you've been through and stuff, there's some a little bit like a tinge of sadness. To like the holidays, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, because it's like of like the ending. Just everything the is ending. like just yeah. It's like closure yeah. to everything. Yeah, like the closure of things. And so I think, I think it's nice that we have Christmas and like Thanksgiving and stuff that we can like make it a like a good time. Mm-hmm. Or, that's the cat, but yeah, make it a good time. 
I think so. Well, uh, with all this shopping and stuff, I mean, I know gifts are, yeah, gifts are nice, but I feel like, I mean, if I don't get anything for Christmas as far as like a materialistic gift, I really wouldn't care. I mean, except for candle supplies. But aside from that, it's like, I just want that happiness with my family and like that togetherness again. I'll take that over anything else. But yeah. Do you feel like you can't have that? I just feel like it's not the way it used to be. And maybe does, things will but never... But does different mean bad, though? Mm. It's bad because a lot of people don't communicate. Yeah. And we used to. We used to hang out a lot. We used to spend quality time, and we don't mm. anymore. So that's why I think it's bad. Mm. Definitely like something to think about, I think. Yeah. So what are you doing for the holidays then? Um, we're supposed to be doing a brunch at my house for like um, on Christmas or on Christmas. My mom does a brunch every year, which we're not really looking forward to. But aside from that, we are probably going to be like grilling food in the backyard with my dad and just like playing music and games. Is your or dad whatever. coming over? He's here. He came. He's here. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. He came yesterday morning. Actually, he drove down with two of his friends. So yeah, that's nice. Mm-hmm. So, how so he's here. It, how long has it been since you celebrated like Christmas? Um, so we're both spending Christmas with our dads. It's been we are, which is a good thing. <laughs> it's a good thing, yeah. He this is no, he comes down every year for Christmas for Thanksgiving. Um, last year he came down for Christmas. I think the year before he didn't. He he was in South Carolina. Um, Thanksgiving kind of. I'm not gonna say it's kind of not a big deal, but this year we made it a big deal by going up there and spending it for the first time with him. You know, in his house and. With yeah. the family that we have up there, which really meant a lot to us. But um, we're glad that he's here. We're glad yeah. that he's here. One half of us, I guess. Um, I think we're almost... So when you go, when you yeah. go to California, you, you don't have a day when you're going to come back. No, no, no. I'm coming back Friday. Oh. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm gonna come back Friday, so I won't be here for Christmas, and then I come back Friday, and then New Year's I'll spend. Damn, here. you're gonna leave. <laughs> Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah. I'm gonna leave my boyfriend here. But they can take care of themselves. I invited him. Oh, he didn't want to go. Yeah, he didn't want to go. Oh. I invited him, and you know, I think I think it'll be good to like for me to spend time with my dad by yourself for myself. You no, know, I, I think, think so too. I think, yeah. So you I think can that would be good. Talk and just be yourself together. Yeah. yeah. So who's with him now at his home? Um, he lives with my grandma, but my grandma's like older, eighty, doesn't know English, like so she's not really much help. And then he has a sister that lives like maybe ten minutes away, and so she kind of helps him. But like he's he's basically been he's like a solo like person, you know. Whenever he's had any issues, he drives himself to the hospital. Like Damn. he always drives himself to the hospital whenever he's sick. So he's really independent, and that's how he's used to also my dad like he prefers it like that you know sometimes people are most people do people are alone because of circumstances also because they want to be alone so my dad's sort of person is like i don't want to rely on anyone i want to be independent and so that's that's also that's how he likes to be almost to a detriment that's that's also hard for him with um dealing with what he's dealing with because 
it's probably going to come to a point where he does he need can. help, and um, it's hard. It's going to be hard for him to accept, and it's probably hard now accepting the fact and coming to the realization that you know doing the things that he, he can't. just did, he's not going to be able to do, and having to rely on somebody to help you do this or help you do that. Like that's not an easy thing to accept when you've been doing something for yourself for so long. Yeah. But honestly, like I don't want to sound morbid, but I feel like my dad will be like that to the day he dies and is content with that. I mean, talking about that movie into the wild, like, Mm -hmm. like he's okay with knowing. I know that I'm sick. I don't know if he's necessarily okay with it, but I feel like this is what he has chosen for his life. That mm-hmm. he will be a loner. Like he, after my mom, he never got back with anyone. Like I mean, he had like a couple girls and stuff like that. But and wasn't serious. Never serious or never took it seriously. Like he enjoys his freedom, and I feel like he's the type of person that like he chose to live like this, and he will stay like that. Die like that, you know. And then for whatever reason, he's been hurt too many times. He's been hurt by people. Like yeah. That's just how some people choose to live their lives. And yeah, so it's true. I respect that. And obviously, I'm going to spend time with him. But mm-hmm. I think he and I both know that, like, yeah, he can go out by himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all will, definitely. Yeah. yeah. How often do you talk to him? Um, Like, a lot more recently. But, like, we try to talk, like... Three times a month? I wouldn't say weekly, but I was gonna say three times a week. Yeah. That's still not that often though. No. My dad's my dad's yeah. That's why he prefers it. Like even when I like whenever I go to visit him and stuff, like half the time I don't see him. Even though you're staying with him? Where does he go? He does his own thing. (laughs) My dad so my dad's from Afghanistan and he likes flying kites. Oh, nice. He likes flying kites, he likes playing card games with his friends. Yeah. Go and walks by himself. That's just how he prefers. He has his own way of yeah. life. Wow, that kind of sounds like my dad. It's funny. That sounds like my dad in South Carolina. Really? Remember how I was telling you, like when he first moved there, and like not, we thought that from him not being around us or like having that closeness from us, like I felt like he was like getting depressed, and yeah. at times I would feel like, damn, like has he ever thought about like hurting himself or like no yeah. longer being here because we're not there. Going like spending Thanksgiving with him in South Carolina. I mean, maybe it was a front, but it opened up my eyes to see that he's not alone in so yeah. many ways. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I can be like that. There are times where I'm fine with um, just being by my lonesome, you know? Me too. I'm okay with that as well. Yeah. I'm trying to find a quote for this book. So we don't end it on like such a depressing. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, I think death is depressing, but I think also too. Um, I don't know that life continues and new things and experiences and stuff always pop up. So I think the stuff that we're talking about right now is like is sad and it sounds depressing, yeah. but it is life. And yeah. it is necessary, and we're all going to experience it one way or another, one right. day or another. Um, one of my grandmothers used to say, you know, you have to go through bad times and times when yeah. you feel sad and 
depressed or whatever in order to get those good times. Right. Like she always like made that to be a point. Like, you know, don't always think that. And I think that that was my that's my that was my issue growing up. And I think now that I get older. I realized for so long I was living like that, living, thinking that, oh, I'm such a nice person to people. Like I should never go through anything bad in life or like I was so stupid. Oh, my God. And naive. Jesus Christ. What do you mean? To, who thinks like that? Thinks what though? I don't thinks that because you're such a nice person that you should never go through anything bad in life. Like I actually used to think like that. I mean, that's not a good way. That's not that's not realistic. And I mean, but people think that too. Like if I do everything I'm supposed to do, I should be successful in life. If I go to college, do this, this, and that, I should have. But a then successful, that's the thing. What's the definition? Everybody's definition of success is different, and yeah. I think. Yes, going to college and getting a nice, getting a, having a career and a nice car and a nice house and getting married and having kids. It's like, I know people with all of that and they're still not happy. It's, it's. Or you, or like you have everything, you should be happy, but you're not. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, life is complicated. You know? It's very complicated, but I don't know. I guess it, it goes back to her saying like, I don't know, those hard days is what, will help you gain that strength. Yeah. Like you you're not gonna be able to really fully enjoy those good days without looking back and saying, you know, I went through this and I got over it. And you know, I gained strength or patience or whatever you gain from the lessons and life experiences yeah. that we're gonna go through. So or you appreciate mm -hmm. things. Yeah, definitely. I was um talking to this girl at a party, I think. Mm -hmm. And she was asking me about like social workers, like what like what you what you guys do is so like you experience so many sad things or hard things like how what draws you or like what do you guys have in common that you're drawn to such a thing and I feel like a lot of social, social workers, workers I feel like a lot of social workers we've seen the good and the bad and mm -hmm. so we want to be part of the good yeah you know like for the most part uh, yeah I think that's true I think I want to be part of the good even if I don't know, even if the good is the end for some people. What does that mean? Like, if you're helping somebody with, like, hospice or something. Oh, yeah. Okay. Like, it's the end, and it's yeah. sad, and it's negative, but, like, you're helping them. Yeah. Mm, okay. Yeah. So, I think, I think it's a good point to end off, right? I don't know. I feel like like the new year, a new decade, 2020, I mean, I feel like I saying mean, goodbye <laughs> to like the bad things, yeah. taking the lessons that we've learned yeah. and using them to better ourselves, appreciate things. Um, I agree. And you can't have good without the bad. Mm -hmm. so. I'm excited for I'm the excited. new year. Excited to do different things and go different places. Um, should I look up a quote? Okay, so we're going to end the podcast here, but before we do, I just want to read a quote. I guess it's kind of campy, but it says, you have to take the good with the bad, smile with the sad, love what you got, and remember what you had. Always forgive, but never forget. Learn from your mistakes, but never regret. 
people change, things go wrong, things go wrong, but just remember life goes on. Oh, I love the, I love, I love that. I love the whole thing, but I like the laugh. That last line is like, people change, things go wrong, but just remember life Life goes goes on. on. I love that. I wish everyone a happy holidays and a successful new year, new year, decade, 2020. I can't believe it. I remember when it was 2000. I remember when it was 99. And we thought the world was going to end. Oh, God. Please. People still think that. Maybe it is, but whatever. <laughs> okay. Well, goodbye, guys. Bye. See you next, See you year. next year.